Welcome to the Birthing Ad Pod- Podcast. This is a podcast about pregnancy, birth and early parenting. Yay! G'day, how's it going? I'm Steve from the Prepare Foundation. We are a registered charity that helps first-time dads make an awesome contribution at the birth of their child. This is a podcast where we get blokes talking about their experience to share their wisdom with other men who are about to go through the life-altering change that comes with first-time fatherhood. So let's hear about the transition of parenthood from a dad's perspective. Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Birthing Dads podcast. We're here today with Scott. He's coming to us from Clayton and he's the father of a 11-month-old. How are you doing this morning, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How about yourself? I'm not too bad. Let's just quickly kick off with how you're finding fatherhood. Uh, a really positive experience. It's positive? Yeah, really enjoying it. And a breeze? Oh, no, not a walk in the park, trying to balance work home life, renovations. It's been a bit of an adjustment, but overwhelmingly positive one. What's something interesting you might have learned in the last, uh, you know, year or two that you, I don't know, that you'd like to share? I guess knowing there's a lot of other dads out there that are in the same position as yourself. Men are not good at talking about uh, their mental health or their fatherhood experiences. So don't feel alone. And um, know that when it's funny uh, at my in my workplace it, where most of us are in our sort of thirties and forties, the bulk of us anyway. Most of us have got young kids, and when you become a father, I, I work one out. You know, I'm a tradesman, so I work one out. I don't see my colleagues very often. I might go to a job site and you know work with other guys, but generally I'm by myself. But when you start having a conversation around being a father, and then they start to open up. And you start to share a lot of, there's a lot of shared experience there and, and a lot of advice. It's not obvious to you until you've had a child and then you start talking to these guys and they're like, Oh no, try this. Or, you know, I've had that experience too. And this is how I handled it. So that, that's probably been a big learning curve uh, for me and just adapting to having a baby in the house. And I don't work like a nine to five sort of role. I'm on call quite often. I'm 24 seven on call roster. So when I'm on after hours, yeah, just being conscious that, you know, I've got Reese asleep. And even though I'm getting up at two o'clock in the morning to go to an emergency job, you know, he's sound asleep. So you just got to be mindful of that. And if you've got a free day that's, you know, for kid free, what, what would you do? I try to spend as much time with my partner as I can and I generally try and get things done around the house. Okay. Uh, describe your child in 50 words or less. Amazing. He's just developed in the last probably six months at least, he's just developed his own little personality and I've noticed in the last maybe two months he is really sort of a lot more expressive. Like I got home, from, I worked yesterday. I worked a 12-hour day yesterday. So when I got home from work, he was with his grandmother. When I got home from work, he leapt off her lap and he's not walking yet, but he crawled all the way down the hallway to the front door. Cute. You know, and then then wanted to come up and, you know, I picked him up and he just, he just cuddled me for sort of 10 minutes. He's just got this personality and this gentleness about him. 
yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just been amazing to watch that develop. Are you planning to attend the birth of your child? Well, the safest scenario is you're calm, relaxed and know how to provide physical, emotional and practical support. The worst case scenario is you have no idea and end up looking like a deer in the headlights. Bitch, you bruh. Don't be a deer in the headlights, mate. Birthing Dads has a suite of groundbreaking resources designed to give you a confidence boost ahead of the big day. And the best part, it's all on demand and 100% online. Go to birthingdads.com.au and use the coupon code POD, that's P-O-D, for a 10% discount and learn how to support birth like a superstar. And so let's uh, let's kind of move into the development of your journey towards fatherhood, and and uh, maybe just start by sharing. You know, uh, was this pregnancy planned? Yeah, it was. Um, it's interesting how it sort of came about. I lived in Canberra uh, for a long time, and my partner lived down here in Melbourne. So when we got to the point where we made the decision to sort of look at having a family. I was pretty laid back about the whole thing. It wasn't like a rigid plan. I just said, look, if it happens, it happens. But obviously the dynamic's different because through COVID, we were separated. Carly was down here in Melbourne. I was in the ACT working up there. So, you know, we spent months and months apart and it came to Christmas, would have been Christmas 2020, where... I left Canberra. My family's not in Canberra, by the way. They're down on the South Coast. So I left Canberra, went down to the South Coast, saw my family, and then I, from the South Coast, I'd driven to Melbourne down around the coast road to see Carly. And it was only on the Boxing Day when I saw her that I found out that we were pregnant and going to be having a child. So... She wanted to wait until you were there and, and tell you in person, yeah. She wanted to wait until I was there and tell me in person and, and you know, she kept a lid on it for, you know, the, the couple of weeks and, and that's fine. But she told me in person and she wanted me to know and then it was kind of like, okay, so what needs to happen now is we need to obviously be in the one place. Um, that wasn't possible for probably the first four months. I had commitments back home in the ACT and I had to – transfer my employment I was lucky I stayed with the same business so that was one headache I didn't have to worry about but I had to to pack up a house and you know kind of deal with all that as well as COVID as well as my work went the opposite way through COVID we all of a sudden became the busiest we've ever been and so you know six seven days a week at work trying to pack up a house trying to deal with all that the first couple of obstetrician appointments I wasn't able to be present for, so they were done via Zoom. So I found myself, my first obstetrician appointment, I was at work. It was a you know an evening appointment. I was at work uh, because I had to work through the night on a particular job. So I sat in my car in the car park at, at work and did my first obstetrician appointment via Zoom. <laughs> Technology, eh? Well, yeah, and it's very fortunate that that was able to happen. Um, because I wanted to be present throughout the whole process and throughout the whole pregnancy. I wanted to try and be present for everything. But being in different cities and the COVID protocols that we had to abide by, even when I was here in Melbourne, made that very difficult. And so you missed out on the uh, ultrasounds as well, I assume? Yeah, I missed all that. I did it all. We did it all via Zoom. Our obstetrician was really understanding of the fact that I wasn't uh, in the same city, so she made 
the allowances for it to be all done via Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. So I was there in spirit, I guess you'd call it, but I found that difficult and I felt guilty that Carly was going through all that stuff by herself and I wasn't able to be there. That was a difficult thing because while you're on the phone doing it, it's, you know, it's good, you're in the moment, but then you hang up the phone and you just think, oh, I should be there, but I'm not, and you've just got to adapt to that and that's just how it is. Yeah, that does sound like it might have been, you know, quite difficult to to be managing all that. You, you, you kind of want to be by her side while she's pregnant as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's not what well, just wasn't possible. So we just had to run with it and we did. And uh, my partner's very adaptable and uh, we, we, you know, we've done long distance for a while. So, you know, we're kind of used to it. And the, I'm just glad that our obstetrician was very receptive to that whole process because, yeah, and it was, you know, my employer was in the same boat. You know, they were great about the whole thing as well. So they are actually really encouraging and very supportive through the whole process and still are to this day. So, yeah, I'm, being, I'm very fortunate. Oh, fantastic. Look, um, at what at what point did you get, get down to Melbourne to be, you know, during the pregnancy? I didn't get down till – so we, we found out – I found out on Boxing Day that, that that was all happening and I didn't get down there till the Easter 2021. And our due date was August. So, yeah, it was quite a few months before I was able to get down permanently. I was backwards and forwards from Melbourne. Just, I'd, you know, finish up on a Friday and just jump in the car and drive down. You know, seven hour, eight hour drive. It's not too bad. So, yeah, I'd do that. But it wasn't till the Easter that I was actually able to leave Canberra and come down and, and, you know, move into the same house and get everything under control. Oh, and how did that feel once you finally got that done? Yeah, it was it was really good, but I'd only sort of had a couple of days off work over Easter to get moved down. So pretty much I I got moved down and I had a trailer, I towed a trailer down on the back of the car with all my gear in it, basically unloaded the trailer um, over the Easter period and then was back at work on the Tuesday. So And I was flat out at work as well, so just walked straight in. It was like nothing had really changed. And, uh, yeah, you're just back to balancing. But the best part about it was, the obstetrician appointments, I was able to knock off work and be present physically in the moment as well. So it was a lot, it was a lot better. I felt more comfortable and I felt like I was able to support Carly a lot better being there physically. Fantastic. Look, and, and, and so you're down, you, you know, you've settled in and, uh, and how, what happened with, you know, kind of preparation for birth? How did that all kind of unfold? Yeah. Like I, I found the, uh, the male birthing classes online before I'd moved, I found that and I was going to attend it in Canberra. I wasn't able to, I just wasn't able to make it work. So I did that down here with Erica. That was fantastic. I got a lot out of that. I found that myself. I, I didn't know one uh, I spoke to really knew anything uh, about birthing classes that sort of were skewed towards fathers and, and from a male perspective. So I just went and did some research and found that and uh, I found Erica to be just amazing, professional. The way she relayed all the information, you know, was good. It's, it's really good. My partner's a nurse in emergency and also has a lot of neonatal experience. So she's across everything. But for me, I'm not, you know, and I'd had nothing to do with fatherhood or or birth from my personal situation until I found out we're having a child. So I I had a lot of questions that I found 
a lot of information out there, but it's not from the male perspective. So it was kind of really good and really refreshing to find uh, Erica and all the information she has available. Yeah, it was just great. Yes, and so did did that kind of allay your fears? Were you a little fearful? Do you think when you were, or what was your what were your feelings about birth? You know, like what, what? I was pretty, I was pretty laid back about birth um, because I didn't know what to expect. So I, ha- I had no expectations at all. I was really just focused on Carly's well being, the baby's well being, and I'll take everything as it comes. I work in a really stressful environment and I've learned to deal with stress and just manage it the best way I can. So this was no different. It was just something that I didn't know a lot about and I needed to educate myself on and I just kind of took that attitude and just realised that, you know, it was a there was a lot of people in the same boat. So, you know, going to speak to, to do a class and, and speak to other people that are in the same situation kind of made me really relaxed. Nice. And so, and let's move on to the birth. And how did that, how did that start? And, and what was your kind of role? Were you around at the time? <laughs> yeah. So, um, when we had, uh, when we knew that it was, was all about to happen, I was still working. Um, I wasn't at home. I just kind of kept going with the work and uh, we were really busy as well. So I told my employer, I said, look, this is a due date, but we went two weeks overdue. So I'd said to my employer, look, this is a due date, but, you know, and my, my boss is like, oh, we'll just give it a couple of days either side. And then it kind of every every day they were ringing me, you know, what's going on? I said, no, no, I'm in today. I'll keep coming. I'll keep coming. And then the day it all happened, I was at work. I got a phone call. Look, we're going to start making our way to the hospital when you get home. I said, no, I'll come home now. We made our way to the hospital and got settled in the hospital, we had like a, a private room. So we got that all set up and then we went to the birthing suite and got that all set up. I met with the obstetrician and then things started to happen, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't rushed. I was expecting, I guess in my head, I was expecting a phone call, baby's coming, you know, I'd be breaking the land speed record trying to get to the hospital and it'd be all rushed, but it actually wasn't our, my partner. He was very level-headed, very in control of the situation. So that made me feel a little bit better because I was, a, I felt like a bit of a deer in the headlights. Just was a lot of information. It wasn't so much the panic. It was just a lot to process. Yeah. And so, but she, she labored at home on her own for a little while. It sounds um, like she started to labor at home for a little bit. And obviously her nursing background, she knew when to go to hospital. So she just waited and, and kind of waited it out uh, for as long as she could and then said it's time to go. So Right, and then rang you. Yeah, called me and said, this is happening tonight, so let's go. So, yeah, that was pretty good of her. She just, she knew, like she had contractions and, and whatever, so she, she, she kind of knew how to time it and wasn't really panicking about getting to the hospital. She just said, you know, this is when we're going to go and, you know, I was on my way home as quick as I could and, you know, we had everything packed ready to go. So we just made it all, threw it all in the car and, you know, run down the road to the hospital. Hospital was only about a 20-minute drive from our house too. So it was relatively, you know, reasonable trip. So it wasn't too bad. We would just get in, park the car and kind of wander in. And, um, you know, it was obviously a lot of paperwork and a lot of processes. So we were able to do that without rushing. Oh, that's the way. It was definitely good. <laughs> Definitely good. Well, it sounds like, you know, she's 
definitely come from a culture or a background where she trusts the process of birth and not necessarily uh, looks at it in a fearful sense, which is really positive. You know, often you've, you hear of, of, you know, women and, and men feeling a little bit uh, kind of apprehensive about when it all kicks off. And it's it's fantastic that she was able to just, you know, manage that on her own. I wanted to go into the whole birthing process relaxed and just informed and knowing. I mean, look, you you know, you can't be 100% across it, particularly as a first-time dad. I had no idea what was going on. But I wanted to be informed and I didn't want to be panicking because, you know, panic, I see it a lot, you know, in a work sense, I guess, when people stress out and panic about things. And, um, you know, in my work, when you make mistakes, people get injured or killed. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be panicking because I know that's when poor decisions get made. I just wanted to be level-headed with it. I mean, there's always an element of stress and an element of, I guess, apprehension, but I just wanted to be in control of it. So that was a big thing. That is so good to hear, and I think it's a real uh, great piece of advice for, uh, you know, our listeners, those dads who are about to go through this, this idea of of moving into this space with with a fair bit of calm and a little bit of level-headedness is actually where where you want to be because otherwise, like you say, under stress we make poor decisions and also, you know, we're not really the best version of ourselves at those times. So, uh, you know, hats off to you, mate. So you're in the birthing suite and active labour's happening and, and, and what are you doing and what's it like for you? Uh, I'm trying my best. So we had at one stage moved into the to the shower area of the birth suite um, just so Carla could be more comfortable and I'm just trying my best to support her, following her cues. I'm really fortunate that we'd uh, done a, like a birthing class at home, like a, a calm birthing class. So Carly had, she had a plan of how she wanted to manage her labour and we tried to stick to that as much as we could. The first lot of nursing staff weren't really receptive to that, but when the shift change happened and we got other birthing staff in there, they were a lot more open to us just managing it the way we wanted to manage it. And that was great. But we pretty well stuck to the plan and I just I made sure I was a bit of a deer in the headlights, I'll have to admit, like I had no idea and it was very stressful when your partner's in pain. Um, and you can't do anything to manage that. You just have, you're along for that ride. So I kind of had to keep telling myself that I just need to support her and just follow her cues and follow her instructions and talk to the obstetrician. We had a really good relationship with our obstetrician and that helped because, and I made a point of getting as much information from the obstetrician as I could. Moving, uh, like moving forward from the time we found out we were pregnant to the time it was labour because I wanted that communication to be effective because in the event Carly couldn't communicate or, you know, because of pain or just whatever reason, I wanted to be able to be that person that could communicate effectively for her or advocate for her, I guess, is probably a better way of putting it. Yeah, and did that? Did you have to do that? Was there any, uh, any time? That- oh, there was a couple of things that I had to say, but, yeah, I... I Carly was very good at at, at, uh, at getting a point across, and and uh, everyone was seemed to be relatively on the same page. So it made the birthing experience very took a lot of the panic out of it. There's always a bit of anxiety and a lot of stress, but the the panic 
was at a bit at a minimum. That's good. And so you mentioned a plan. Did you actually have some kind of you know a written birth intentions type of thing? Yeah, we did. We had a uh, we had a birthing plan. It wasn't a strict plan, but it was at least we had something written down. So we knew what you know. Carly knew what she wanted to achieve in labour and how she wanted to go about it. So I just made sure I was across that. And I knew what my role was going to be, you know, moving into that scenario. I didn't want to be, you know, sort of bumbling around, not knowing what to do. I hate being ill-prepared for things. So I made sure that I was across that birth and plan and, and sort of had a copy of it. The obstetrician had a copy of it. So everyone was on the same page. Yeah, I highly recommend communicating as much as you can with the obstetricians you're out of pregnancy and ask every stupid question you can think of because if you don't ask, you don't know, and it's no good to try and ask questions when it's game on in a birth and sleep. It's just you're not going to be heard. Absolutely. That's great advice. And so what happens next? Like, you know, what? how did it all unfold? So it, it kind of got to the point where it was sort of 7 o'clock uh, at night and we were in the suite, the labour was progressing and then it kind of slowed down and then, you know, there was a bit of a lull, yeah, sort of early hours of the morning where um, the labour was, in, you know, painful for Carly and but there wasn't a lot of progression. So it went relatively well but it was just there was that lull for a couple of hours which is really hard to keep your focus. I'd worked the day and I'd had quite a busy day at work so I was knackered. But that wasn't a priority in the moment. But I physically was struggling. I was struggling to stay awake. I was just, I was on the struggle. The obstetrician told me, just look, have some sleep through these, this early morning period where things are slowing down, just get some sleep, which I did in the suite. I, di- I didn't leave Carly's side. Um, I stayed in the birth suite and just sort of slept on the chair for a few hours. And that was the best thing that could have happened because when I did wake up and it was time, I was alert and I was uh, ready to go. So, yeah, that's uh, that was good advice from the obstetrician because yeah, I was dead on my feet and I'm no I'm no help. If you're dead on your feet and you're that tired, you're no help. You know, you just start getting in the way. Yeah, that's right. And so you said you were ready to go and it, and it all kicked off. What, what happened? Well, we um yeah, we, it, it was the obstetricians like we're we're um we're well on the way. I can see his head. You know, we didn't know we didn't know what sex our baby was. We made a point of not finding out. Um, we, we didn't want to find out. Uh, we didn't have names picked or anything like that. We just wanted to sort of ride that out and see what happens. It's our first child. So yeah, we just wanted to kind of just, just have that surprise, you know. And that was, that was a pretty good thing to do in, uh, you know, looking back now. I'm glad we didn't find out. Um, but yeah, they said, look, we can see ahead. And, and it was just, it was just game on. So yeah, it was, it was support Carly, be there for her. Um, just hold her hand and, you know, give her encouragement that she can do it because she got to a point where she was like, you know, this is really starting to get tough. And I, yeah, just was supportive of her. Again, I felt like I was just, um, you know, out of my depth, really, to be honest. But, you know, you just got to put that aside and push on with, with what's in front of you. I just said, well, you know, you'll get it done. Like you always get things done. You'll get it done. Just, just keep going. Don't, don't give up. Even when you think you can't go any harder, just, just dig deeper. You'll find, you'll find a way to get through it and she did and um you know he was born we had a baby boy and you know there was 
was no issues, you know, there was no complications. Carly came out of it unscathed. It was just a really surreal experience with the whole birth. It went very, I wouldn't call it smooth, but, yeah, it went, it went smooth. And, look, there was no issues. Like, you know, he was born. There was a bit of meconium that had to be sort of cleaned up, but he was born, he was healthy. Carly was tired, but she wasn't in any more pain than, you know, you would expect. There was no complications. So all in all, even though our birthing plan didn't go 100% to the letter, um, it worked. And I'm glad we had some sort of plan. Yeah, great. And so that was without any analgesic, no no drugs, no epidural, no? Um, she had an epidural. Oh, okay, yep. yep. Yeah, that, was, that sort of happens early hours of the morning. But she managed her pain. She wanted to manage her pain herself, but it got to a point where that just wasn't feasible. And we had the discussion about the epidurals and I said to her, yeah, look, you know, it, it's your call. I'm not you, but I'll support whatever decisions you make. And those discussions are quite weird. And sometimes nursing staff kind of have this idea in their head of how they want things to go. So it was a case of, well, this is what we want. Let's make it happen. Yeah, so that was relatively straightforward process and then away we went. So let's unpack that statement there, back up a little. You know, said, you know, some people kind of, you know, have their own agenda or, or whatever. That's uh, what do you mean? Like what happened? Because you, you had to be involved. So hmm. we were private patients in a, it's a well, it, it was at Jesse McPherson here in Clayton. So we're private patients in a public facility, I guess you'd call it. And we were told, by the hospital staff, you know, obviously pre-birth that, you know, we were able to, to set things up and do set the room up the way we wanted to set up, which was important to Carly. She wanted the room set up a certain way. She wanted certain music played and lighting and things like that. And we were told that this was all possible. And, you know, books I'd read and, and classes I'd been to, you know, we were told that, you know, this was a basic right, particularly in a private situation where, you know, you're paying a handsome fee to have the sort of care that you want. And when we went about setting our room up initially, uh, we had some younger nursing staff who were kind of denying Carly's requests for certain things and we sort of had to go to the nursing manager and say, we were told this was possible, we've got people in here that are saying, oh, we can't have this, we can't have that, we're not having this, we're not having that. What's going on? You know, this is important to to us. You know, we'd like to to have these things and if we can't have them, then, you know, what? why? There should be no reason why we can't. You know, we were told that we would have access to the bath for water, uh, water birth if need be, and then on the day in labour, oh, no, that can't happen. You know, well, why not? What's the reason behind that? Because my partner is getting a bit stressed because she's making requests and they're consistently being denied. So that was uh, just something that, you know, we had to just kind of manage in the moment and we were, we just we changed our plan. You know, okay, we can't have the bath. Well, okay, let's go into where the shower is and we'll, we'll try and make it work that way. But, yeah, that's something to be aware of. But when we had a changeover of staff, and the younger nurses had left and we had some some more experienced nursing staff come in, then we kind of said to people, oh, look, you know, this is how we want it to play out, and they were very receptive. So 
I guess one piece of advice there, which I also read in a book, was if you don't like the, the first nurse that comes in the door, generally there's a shift change and things have changed. So, yeah, don't get too too hung up when people rock up with their own agenda. Just just let it play out and, yeah, don't be a hothead and just, just let it all kind of settle and just make sure that, you know, your partner your partner's well-being is, is always at the forefront of everybody's uh, mind. Yeah, I like I like you saying what you're saying there. You know, not to be a hothead. It's it's really difficult as guys when we're in this kind of environment. We're trying to advocate for our for our family, and it, it, you know, it can be quite easy to be misconstrued as anger or frustration. You know, it can seem quite I don't know problematic. And so you really do have to kind of pull back and make sure that you are being you know that best version of yourself. And you do. It's a real exercise of self-control. Um, I do have a short fuse as well. And the older I get, the more relaxed I am. But I do have a short fuse when people, when you make a request and you've been informed, particularly where you've been informed for the you know preceding nine months, yep, nothing's going to be a problem. And you make the request and it's denied. And there isn't a reason given. It's just denied because it's too hard for the nursing staff to facilitate or or whatever the excuse. You've just got to kind of go, okay, let's just, you know, level heads prevail. Yeah, let's just improvise and find a solution together, yeah. You know, and one of the things to recognise in this kind of environment is that you are the consumer of uh, of this, you know, service. And so you do have a kind of unwritten right to be able to talk to people and to say to them, well, you know, we, we thought it was going to be like this and, and like, yeah, like I say, uh, try and negotiate the best possible outcome that you can, uh, you know, in this situation. We had, you know, we had to kind of be respectful of the nursing staff and, you know, the fact that, you know, there's, there's a lot going on and, and everyone's stretched. But by the same token, you know, we were sort of given the, uh, indication that what we wanted was not going to be a problem. But then when we requested it, it was sort of met with, uh, oh, no, that's not possible, or, you know, okay. And it wasn't the fact that we couldn't get what we wanted, but when we just made a request and it was denied and we asked why, it was sort of like, well, you know, we do have a right to know why we can't have the treatment that we, we, we expected to have. But, look, in the scheme of things, it's a positive experience. The hospital staff are great. The hospital facilities were really good. I can't complain about. From my perspective, I can't complain about it. Carly was happy with the birthing experience, you know, after it was all said and done. And we also probably need to understand that everyone's emotions are running uh, really high at that particular point. So the little things can really get amplified. Absolutely. And so uh, Reese is there. He's He's come out and did you get, you know, what was your what was your reaction? What how did you feel? What was, you know, what was going through your mind? I was overwhelmed. I wasn't overly emotional, but I was completely overwhelmed with, you know, after nine months, he's finally here. We've got a little boy. He's the first grandchild for my parents. So, you know, that was really it was just it was overwhelming. And obviously my family uh, in a state, so they they weren't here. They weren't here in Melbourne. So, you know, it was it was a real overwhelming experience emotionally for me. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sort of a, a emotional wreck on the floor, but I was excited more than anything. I was really excited and and overjoyed and really happy. Carly was was overwhelmed, uh, as you would expect. 
And yeah, it was just, it was just a really exciting time and, and really happy. And to say it's the happiest day of your life is an understatement, but it was just, it was overwhelming. And it took me a long time, probably a few hours after the birth to really come down off that sort of, uh, emotional high, I guess you'd call it. And did Carly decide to breastfeed? Yes, so yes, when, she did. Yeah. Yep. And yep. how did that go? Was it all? Yeah, actually, really. Yeah, it actually went really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had no problems getting him on. Yeah, he was straight onto it straight away. And yeah, had no problems getting him on. And he fed really well. Yeah. Oh, congrats. That's great to hear. And so uh, you stay in hospital for a couple of days, I assume. And then you, you know, you, you, you've got it. You've got a, a little bundle to walk out with. How did that feel? Yeah, it was really. Um, I was as proud as punch. Yeah, that was yeah, just, you, know, you couldn't wipe a smile off my face. It was really amazing. And then um, we put him in the car. So I had the baby seat. I've got a, like a dual cab work truck, um, like work ute. So we had the baby seat in the back of the work car for probably a couple of weeks beforehand. So, yeah, I'm driving to work in the morning and look in the mirror and you just kind of glimpse the baby seat. And it just, it's just a reminder that, you know, you've got an impending birth coming. And then we got home and, well, we got, Time to leave the hospital, you know, and we, we walked him out in the pram and put him in the car seat and he, he actually screamed his head off. And I thought, oh, wow, how's this going to go, you know? But by the time I'd, we'd packed the car and I'd put it into gear and had to back out. We had to drive sort of a fair way around the car park. By the time I'd sort of got to the first speed hump, he was sound asleep. And we drove home and he just slept the whole way home and we got him out and he was just, you know, no drama. But then walking in the front door as a family, for me, was a really different experience because I hadn't lived in Melbourne for that long. I'd only been in Melbourne a couple of months, um, sort of five months at the time, and it was like everything was where it should be. I'm here with my partner where we're as a couple after so much time apart, and then we've got the little man, you know, and there's just the three of us. So, you know, there was a time there where Carly was asleep and Reese was asleep and I was just, you know, sitting on a lounge and just contemplating that it's, we really are a family. That's so beautiful, mate. Yeah, it was. It was a really beautiful thing, you know, and, and even I go to work and you sort of get wrapped up in what's going on at work and then I sort of think, oh, I'm going home, you know, to see the young bloke and it's, yeah, it's good. It's just a really satisfying thing. And how long did you end up having off work? I was off for uh, about 10 days I had off work. Yeah, so I was straight back into it. And then, you know, and, and when I went back to work, it was like I had to work overtime and we had a lot of jobs on and it was just a lot to get through. So, but my, uh, you know, my colleagues and, and my work, and I've been, at, I've been with my employer with Airmaster for 15 years. So they're really supportive from the CEO down, you know, everyone's really supportive of, of uh, me personally being a father and, and nothing's been an issue. If I've had to take time off or I've um, had to go home early because, you know, we need to take him to an appointment or whatever, it, it was everything was good, nothing was a problem. So really, really receptive of it. That's amazing. And, and how have you felt, you know, kind of managing that time at work versus time at home kind of, uh, you know, stretch? <laughs> oh, look, that's that's the real battle. That's the real battle because my work is not 
nine to five, you know, it's really adaptive to what's happening at the time and what my customers need. So, you know, most mornings I'm up at five in the morning and then I, you know, sometimes I'll work in, you know, Ballarat or down on the Great Ocean Road or it's in the CBD. So it's varied. I'm not in the same place all the time. So my start and finish times vary quite widely where I'm leaving home at five in the morning. Some days I'm not home till 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. When I'm on call, I'm getting called out in the middle of the night. Um, I've just worked seven days. So uh, I worked Saturday. It was a 10-hour day. Yesterday was a 10-hour day. Today will be a 10-hour day probably. And then I'm really busy this week and I've got a lot to fit in. So trying to manage my work commitments. And I was single for a long time before I met my partner and uh, obviously us living in different cities. So if I was on a job and it was going to run into overtime, I just stayed back. Whereas now, when things go sideways at work, I've got to kind of say, well, no, I need to leave because I've got to be home. Or it's, you know, I got stuck on a job a couple of weeks ago where I was in Ballarat and I had to stay tonight. So, you know, I knew this job wasn't going to go to plan by about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I made the call. I rang Carly and said, look, I'm going to stay in Ballarat tonight and I'll just get this job done and then I'll come home. So that was, you know, you just, it's in the front of your mind that you constantly got to balance that. And, uh, you know, my partner is working. She's back at work. So I need to be home. Like yesterday, I needed to be home by sort of five o'clock because our Carly's mum was looking after Reese at our house. So I need to be home by five o'clock so she could get home and live her life. And, uh, you know, I've got Greece in the in the uh, evening, and then my partner got home at, at midnight last night, and she's got him today. So, there's is is the balance, and it's hard when one partner's a nurse, and you know, I'm a tradesman. So it's really difficult to try and manage it because you, your start and finish times just aren't set. Yeah, and you don't get to see the the little guy as much as you probably want. Ah, uh, no, but I've um again made that quite clear with work that I want to spend as much time with him as I can. So I make sure that I'm home to see him. So, you know, I try to do bath. Uh, I try to do dinner, bath and bed every night. I try to be home for that as much as I can. And, uh, yeah, that's just something that I want to do with him to maximise the time we spend together. And I make sure that when I am home that, you know, that's the focus. He he He's, he's the focus, not anything else that's going on. You still got to, you know, mow lawns and wash cars and, you know, in our case, I'm, I'm you know, doing electrical work at home and things like that. So you still got to manage all that. But I try and, you know, he's the priority and then everything else can come afterwards. That's what a, what the adjustment is. So now that you're a dad, um, what was, what's some of the things uh, that you kind of thought might have been different or, you know, that surprised you or, you know, you kind of unexpected? Surprising how quick he picks things up, how quick he learns things and picks things up. Now, he is quite aware of the fact that I leave to go to work in the morning and that I come home in the afternoon. In the last couple of months, when he's when he was a little, you know, baby, baby, when he was sort of three, six months now, they don't notice that. But now that he's he's crawling and he's walking and he's he's really observing a lot that goes on, he's cottoned on to the fact that I leave you know, around that 5, 36 o'clock in the morning to the point now where I wave to him and he waves back and he knows I'm going. And then when I get home, 
and the really satisfying thing now is when I get home, he's excited to see me. And Carly makes him aware that I'm coming home, you know. So he he watches me back the car up the driveway and, and get out of the car and walk up the footpath to the front door. So he sees all that. So now when Carly's not there, like yesterday, he knew, he heard the car, saw the car coming up the driveway and, you know, he was off off Nana's lap to meet me at the front door. And just how quick that that's changed. Um, how quick he's observed things and how quick he knows what certain things are in our house as well. Like he's got this thing with the remote controls for the TV and we bought him a little toy one. So we'd stop mucking around with our one, but he knows that the toy remote control doesn't do anything. And he knows that the remote control for the TV turns the TV on and off. Like he's picked that up and he's 11 months old and he just the things that he's picked up. And like I said, I'm into cars, so I've got a lot of cars and automotive memorabilia and things like that around. He anything with a wheel on it, he is, you know, gravitating towards and you know, figuring out how his toys work and things like that. He's just amazing to watch him develop. And I just I just never I totally underestimated that that aspect. What and what would you say to the, you know, to the expectant dad who's about to go through this process? You got any tips? Uh, any wisdom now that you're the, the you know, you, you're pretty much the expert. Once you've got a child, you're an expert. Look, don't be afraid to ask questions. I, I, I deal with this at work a lot as well with training apprentices. You know, people don't ask questions because they think they're going to sound stupid. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Ask, ask away. And don't be afraid to read books. Um, I, I love to read. So, you know, for me, Reading books is a great thing. Don't be afraid to pick up a book. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Speak to your obstetrician. If, you, if you're if you going down the road of having an obstetrician, you know, or your midwife, just talk and write things down too. Like between obstetrician appointments, and this is something I should have done but I didn't, which, you know, moving forward when we go again, I'll be, you know, things that I'm not sure of, write it down in your diary or write notes in your phone or whatever. And then when you go to the obstetrician's appointment, because quite often you'll sit through the obstetrician's appointment and they won't say anything to you. And then they turn around and go, anything you want to know? And you're like, oh, actually, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. And then you get in the car and you're like, bloody hell, I should have asked that. <laughs> yeah, it comes to you later, yeah. Yeah, it comes to you later. So, yeah, just, yeah, be be a sponge, soak it all up. But, yeah, write as many notes and as many questions down because there will always be something that you forget to ask and you'll wish you should have. Brilliant. Look, uh, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks for sharing, uh, you know, your journey into fatherhood, your transition, and, um, you know, we look forward to hearing more about you down the track when you're having number two. Uh, well, we'll see how we go. We'll get through this one first. We get into his first birthday and then we'll see how we go. Thanks so much, Scott. Appreciate it, mate. I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people as the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is recorded. And I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging.